been a joy to dive in deep into this amazing topic. I have just so just personally um, gotten more out of this than I'm sure any of you ever will out of this series. As you know, anybody who teaches or does anything like that, you always get more than anybody else. And so I'm, I've been so filled up with hope. God wants us to lay hold of hope because it will be an anchor for our souls. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 6. It is an anchor for our souls. But one exciting aspect of this is that when you are a person of hope, when you are anchored securely, sure and steadfast, as it says there in Hebrews 6, then at that point, and the waves are coming and you're steady, at that point, you then are in a position to give hope to others. You're steady, you're strong, you're standing strong. And that po- at that point, you can be a huge blessing to the people around you. In fact, the idea for this particular message really came from a short comment that I read about people who make the most difference in the world and make the most difference in other people. The pastor who was writing um, said that no one wants to follow a hopeless person. No one really will follow a hopeless person. We, we all want to be influenced by people who are positive about the future, people who have a future outlook and they see good things ahead. They're going somewhere. That, th- those are the kind of people that we're, we want to be influenced by. Those are the people we want to be around. Um, the, the hopeless people, we, we just, we, man, it's just they, they're not rubbing off. Well, they rub off on people, but in, in, a, in a bad way. And the more I thought about this concept, the more I realized how true this is. And a person of Christian hope, a person full of Christian hope, is the best person in the world to help somebody else. They just are. Because they can really be an anchor to so many other people. Since we're talking about anchors here, and that's what God calls hope, an anchor for our soul, I have one other boat story for you, a personal boat story. So my wife and I, a while back, had a chance to go out on a boat in the ocean. And, um, and it was, you know, for sightseeing, but also for snorkeling. We were going to pull into this cove and start snorkeling. And uh, when, we, when we got to this, the point there where we're going to start getting out of the boat and start getting in the water, uh, before they let us out, the captain needed to anchor the boat. The, the, the waves were coming a little bit, and so they needed to anchor the boat. And um, there was already other boats there from other different, you know, tour companies, and they were there. Uh, people were already out snorkeling. And, and so our captain grabbed the rope and um, said to one of the swimmers that was out there, hey, uh, do you see a, what, do they, what did he call it? Do you see a stationary turtle down there under the water where you're snorkeling? A stationary turtle. Apparently, what the issue was, what, what was going on is, there was some kind of an anchor point that had been fastened under, in, in the water, down in the ground, and it, because it's a point where a lot of boats come, and so all you got to do then is come, put your rope in, somebody go down there, tie the rope to that anchor point, and, um, and the boat will stay still. But no, none of the snorkelers could find it, and we don't know where it's at, we don't know where it's at. So the captain was, you know, thinking about diving in and going and trying to look for it, but then I don't know if they were just lazy, whatever. But they looked across. There was another boat there, and they 
And our captain said to the other captain, hey, could we just anchor to you guys? And the other captain said, sure. So he, so we threw the, the rope over, they tied it up, and, uh, and so that's what we did. And that, I mean, and we were secure. We stayed, we stayed in that spot. And all, when I was sitting in there just watching all of this go down, almost immediately already sermon illustrations were coming into my mind. This is such a, a great illustration. There are times in life where we struggle to find the anchor. I mean, we're just, we're just not finding it. But thank the Lord that there are people in our life that we can anchor to. There are people in our life that, that they'll hold on to us when we can't hold on to ourselves. When we're trying to regain our strength, when we're trying to get our footing back, thank the Lord there's somebody else that's anchored as they're feeling good at the moment. You know, I see this in marriages especially. Sometimes the husband needs to be strong for his wife because she's just struggling. And sometimes the wife needs to be strong for the husband because he's just struggling. And that spouse becomes an anchor. They become an anchor point. But this is needed in, in, in more than just marriage. It's needed in churches. It's needed in families. It's needed elsewhere. People of hope are needed everywhere. They're needed in places of business and places of education and places of recreation. People of hope just need to be out everywhere helping people. And Christians who are filled with hope are the ones to do this because they have the hope to give. They have real hope. Remember this familiar verse, 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, and many of you have heard this verse. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. When, when people around you want to know, why are you so hopeful about the future? Why are you not shaken? Why are the waves not, why, why, are, why are you not going down? Well, you need to have ready the reason of the hope that is in you. The, reason, the word reason here in Greek is the word logos, usually translated word. So you need a word of hope. You need a word of hope to give to people. And that's what we should be ready to do. Help people see why we have such a strong and rich hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, this morning, I, I showed you a little picture. Uh, thank you, Marina, again for sending that. Uh, she sent this merch for my messages here. Hope Dealer. <laughs> you can get this hoodie for $24, apparently. And, um, but Hope Dealer. I, I want to be a Hope Dealer for someone else. I want to be a Hope Giver. I want to be a Hope Dealer to everybody around me. But actually, there's a little bit more to this story. There's a little bit of backstory here. Uh, years ago, and now we were just talking maybe eight, nine years ago, something like that. Uh, we were in a, our Tuesday night Bible study with our college group, our singles, and we were talking, and I was waxing eloquent one night, as I'm sure I often do, and I, 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 we were talking about hope in the Bible, and we were just saying how powerful it is in, in people's life, and, and I made the comment, hope is greater than dope. <laughs> hope is greater than dope. I mean, a lot of people go to dope for help uh, to get through some stuff, but hope is so much greater than dope. 
And we went with that for a little while. Well, then they, about a week later, they had T-shirts made that said, hope is greater than dope. And we put, there's a picture of us wearing those. You can't hardly see it, but hope with a greater than sign is hope is greater than dope. And I'm telling you, it's a thing. So now there's, uh, I'm a hope dealer. It's all hope <laughs> greater than dope. Uh, let, me, let me just say this, though. Here's my question for you. Are you a hope dealer? Are you a hope dealer? Do you deal hope everywhere you go? If somebody wanted to anchor to you, would they be steady? You can take that down. Thank you very much. One person, one person with strong certainty in the future, just one person with strong certainty in the future, a, a, a power in them because they have this hope in them, uh, one who's looking to deal hope to people around them, one person can bring change to a lot of people. According to sociologists, even the most introverted person will influence approximately 10,000 people in their lifetime. 10,000 people. That includes people you know, people you don't know, your actions, how, they, how you interact with people throughout each and every day, and your life story. When people hear about you or they know about you and what you do and how you live, that impacts people and has influence in some ways. There are so many hurting and hopeless people out there. Imagine if you could bring hope to 10,000 people in your lifetime. By just them knowing your story, by just them hearing about you, by you saying a word to them, you could deliver hope. If you think about that, if we have a group of 200 approximately people in here, that means we could, just with this group right here, we could influence 2 million people with hope. I don't think we realize how much Christians can do in this world. Dr. D. James Kennedy pointed out that despite the church starting with just a small band of discouraged disciples, listen to this, it became the greatest force for good in all of history. Here's, how, here's what he listed. Among all of its accomplishments, the church brought about hospitals, universities, literacy for the masses, capitalism, free enterprise, representative government, the separation of political powers, civil liberties, the abolition of slavery, modern science, discovery of the new world, the elevation of women, the good Samaritan ethic of charity, high standards of justice, elevation of the common man, the value of human life, the work ethic, the codifying of and writing of many of the world's languages, the preservation of human life through condemnation of perversions, and the elevation of healthy lifestyle practices, and a greater development and inspiration for music and art. That is an amazing list. That's because people who love the Lord just got out there and said, no, we're going to be a force for good. We're going to we're we're spread hope everywhere we go. You might ask, okay, but who are the people that I'm around that need hope? Who are those people that I need to be paying attention to? Well, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, well, let's let Jesus be our example. When he lived, who were the people that he had, uh, he, he spread hope to? Well, there were people who were lost, like the Samaritan woman. There were those who were broken by sin's bondage, people like the thief on the cross. There were people in fear, like the disciples in the boat. There were uh, those who were left empty from the world's wealth people like Zacchaeus. There were those people who were just hurting and 
hurting physically and, and internally. And this is, uh, there are people like the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus brought healing and hope to each one of those people. And we can do the same if we're paying attention and if we're looking at the people around us. There was one man in the Bible whose story really displays the power of one person, one person to bring hope to a lot of people. And his name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Bible is one of the biggest hope dealers of all. Listen to this. For 92 years, the city of Jerusalem had no walls. And its people, they were all living under fear, failure, frustration, fatigue. It was a horrible time to be a Jew at that time. But then in Jerusalem there, one guy arrived. And he arrived with God's perspective. He looked at the future while everybody else was looking in the past. And in just 52 days, 52 days, he got everybody to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. One man, one man, knowing that God could do something through him. I have five principles tonight from the life of Nehemiah that will help us be ministers of hope or dealers of hope. I was thinking, man, if there was one person that we could take and just say, okay, how can I emulate that to the people around me and be a, be a, a dealer of hope? So number one, if I'm gonna be a, a dealer of hope, I need to get a burden or get reburdened. Get a burden or get reburdened. Now watch how Nehemiah got his burden. Nehemiah chapter one, if you all go with me there. Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through four. Follow along with me. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the 20th year, I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, remember the situation. Uh, Babylon, uh, now Persia was in charge. They had, uh, they had decimated Jerusalem, taken them captive, and now... Uh, Nehemiah is uh, there as the cupbearer to the king. He's minding his own business. He's doing his job as a captive. He's a Jew, and he's a slave to the king. In fact, by the way, Nehemiah was born a slave. That's the only thing he ever knew. He had never even seen Jerusalem, but he knew his heart was tied to that place. W one of his brothers, it says, one of his brethren, maybe just a Jewish brethren or a brother itself, comes back from visiting Jerusalem and tells him of the things that were going on. And he said it wasn't, it wasn't good. Uh, the walls have been decimated. They were decimated over 90 years earlier. And the current enemies that were around Jerusalem in that region did not want the walls to be built up. And so they did everything, in, everything possible to make sure they weren't built up. Now, the temple had been rebuilt, but it was only a humble temple. It wasn't like the previous temples. And so the people had barely gotten that done. The people, as he says here, were in great affliction and reproach. I mean, fear, 
failure, frustration, fatigue. People were just saying, it's not going to happen. The walls aren't going to go up. This is, this is over. The nation of Israel is done for. And by the way, as we're thinking about this, do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone in despair? Do you know anyone in fear and failure and frustration and fatigue? Do you know anybody who is in affliction and reproach? Do you know anyone whose spiritual walls are broken down? Nehemiah, at that moment, when he hears the news of everything that's going on back there, he, he says he sat down and wept. Nehemiah felt the weight of this whole thing. And all of a sudden, this whole situation became a deep, deep burden for, for him. And here's what we need also. We need a burden that has captured our heart. We all need, we all need a burden that, um, that God says, that we'll, that we, something we would weep over. Something that stirs you on the inside. Something that makes you cry. Some work that needs to be done for the Lord. And let me just tell you, all of you, so many of you here at the home church are just incredible people. And you're busy doing ministries all over here. But maybe you need to get reburdened about ministry that God, you know God has already given you. You need, to get, you need to have God again recapture your heart for these people that God wants you to minister to. I think a big part of Nehemiah's burden in this situation was that he was starting to sense in that moment that he was perhaps positioned better than anybody else in the world to do something about this. He was the king's cupbearer. He was the only Jew probably in, that was this close to the king. No one had access to the king every single day like he did. And this reminds me that we aren't all called to do everything, but we are purposely positioned by God to help certain people. We are per God has put us in a place, he's put you in a place to help the people around you, and he wants you to have a burden for those who are around you. D.L. Moody told the story of his conversion this way. I want to read this to you. He said this, he said, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class and one day, I recollect my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was at work in and put his hand upon my shoulder and talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul till then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and he is weeping over my sins. And I never shed a tear about them. But I understand it now. And know what it is to have a passion for men's souls. And weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said. But I can still, still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder tonight. One man. One man. With a burden for one young boy. And that resulted... In D.L. Moody being born again, and literally a million souls, they say, were saved through D.L. Moody's evangelistic campaign. See, if we're looking around us for broken walls, if we're looking around us for situations in people's lives, then God's going to open our eyes. If we're looking for a burden, God's going to put it on our heart, and we're going to see who we can help. And as I mentioned, some of you just need to get refired up. So, so do what you need to do to get that burden. 
then the next thing is to start asking God, how then can I get this done? Nehemiah, if he was going to be a, a dealer of hope, here's what he did. Well, here, here is what he did next. Number two, he prayed for resources and open doors. So I have a burden. I want to help people. But now I need to pray for resources. God, you, I need you to give me something. And, and by the way, we'll never be the ministers of hope that God wants us to be unless we pray. We'll ne- I'm going to say that again. We'll never be the ministers of hope that God wants us to be unless we pray. It just won't happen. Verse 4 says that Nehemiah fasted and prayed. That was what we just saw a moment ago. He desperately wanted God to reveal the next steps for him in helping in this situation. Now, then we see in chapter 1 there the prayer that goes for the rest of the chapter. But I want to look at the last verse of the chapter to see the end of his prayer. Verse 11. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants, all of us, who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, he's talking about the king, for I was the king's cupbearer. So after a prayer, we're not reading the whole thing, but after a prayer of confession of sin for the people and a recommitment to God, which, by the way, is also important if we want to help people. We need to make sure our hearts are right, in the right place. But Nehemiah then asks then, he says, God, would you then now prosper us and give us mercy when I, give me mercy when I go before the king? He already saw that God had put there, him there in that moment for a reason But the details of how this was all going to happen and how this was going to go down was not clear yet. He had no idea what was going to come. Uh, Nehemiah didn't have the position to maneuver finances to make this wall get rebuilt. He couldn't even leave uh, where he was at right there unless the king allowed him to go. He was a slave. He had no rights at all. So here here was this this burden that he had that made him weep and fast and pray, but he had, he lacked resources. He, he didn't know what to do. He couldn't do anything with it. And he lacked the open door to get moving. If, if the point is, if God did not work in Nehemiah's life, then it wasn't going to happen. And, and that's the same thing for us. By ourselves, the Bible's very clear that by ourselves, we lack the resources the spiritual resources, the physical resources to truly be a minister to hope to people. We must have God work on our behalf. We must have the Holy Spirit's power working in us. And that's why in the Bible we see the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit. It's a gift, first of all. It's given by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we demand or something uh, that we Uh, that we work up. It's a gift of the Spirit. He gives it, and the Holy Spirit gives it when He wants to give it, and how He wants to give it, and which one He wants to give. The Holy Spirit has to come and supply us with spiritual and physical resources to accomplish the thing that He wants us to do. Back to D.L. Moody for just a minute. Uh, He said that he was ministering. He, He told a story about his life, and he said, you know, I was ministering for quite a while, but I sensed that I was ministering with, with a lack of power. I didn't have the power of God on my ministry. He said, until one day, he's, actually he was walking in New York on Wall Street. And he tells this, he said he, he would very rarely tell this story. But he said in that moment, the Holy Spirit just came upon him 
in a way that he cannot even describe. All of a sudden, the power of God came, and he said, from that moment on, I had more power in ministry. He actually had to go find a place to stay and just pray and, say, and ask God, Lord, I, it is too much. It's so much. Your, this, your spirit is so much. I need you to hold back. But later, you know what he found out? That there were two women who had been praying fervently for him specifically for this, that he would get the power of God in his life. And this is what I'm saying. This is why we truly need to pray for the resources. We need to pray for the spiritual resources to be able to help people. If we're going to have spiritual power, then we have to have God give it. It has to come from him. And guess what? God did grant Nehemiah's request. He did give him the, the resources that he needed, and he did open the door for him to do this. But listen, not until four months later, four months of praying, four months of not knowing anything, four months of just being obedient to God and waiting for God to open the door. Listen, everybody, it might be four months, it might be four years, but we need to keep just obeying the Lord. Keep obeying the Lord and let him open those doors. Nehemiah's open door finally came. Here it is. Nehemiah chapter 2. Follow along with me if you would, please. Verse 1. Then it came to pass in the month Nisan. That, that tells us it's four months later from the first time we saw this story. In the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. <laughs> now you see, you can read the dynamic here. You can feel it. No one was ever allowed to be sad in the king's presence. That was a death sentence. To show sadness in the king's presence, how dare you bring down the mood of the king? And this is why it says at the very end of that verse that Nehemiah was sore afraid. He knew he, this was not allowed. And so in verse 3, here's what happened. And he said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> you again see where the heart of this man was. Nehemiah, all of a sudden, okay, this is my moment. The king has now said something to me. I thought I could get my head removed from my body, but he apparently is not going to do that. He's listening to me, and he even asked me what I would like. And so the, that moment, he shoots up a flare prayer. I mean, I prayed to the God of heaven. He didn't have time to say, King, wait for just a minute. I'm getting down on my knees. Lord, I need to know. No, it was a quick prayer to the Lord. Uh, thank God that God listens to flare prayers. Amen? You can pray anytime, any place, in any situation. Before you say a word to anybody, you shoot up a flare prayer. God hears you. God hears you. Verse 5, and I said unto the king, if it please the king, this is how you know this man had such spiritual power that right now, the right, the right words to say, if it please the king. And if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And it just sat there, and the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? 
So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. This is an amazing moment right here. The resources are now ready. The door has opened. God has done it. God has done it. There comes a day when you've done all your prep work. You've gotten out of bed. You've been reading your Bible. You've spent time in prayer. You've been faithful to obey the Lord, to live a clean life, to seek him, to try to have spiritual resources in your life. You're going to work. You're doing your stuff. You're, you're do, living life. And then that opportunity comes along. There's a person that you need to bring hope to. And all, this, all these moments back here that you were praying, that you were seeking the Lord, that you were looking to God for help, all those moments back there have led to right now. And you have the spiritual resources to pour out onto this person that's right in front of you. This person that's broken, this person that has a need, this person that needs you to say something, to be there for them. Some of you have had a burden for your family. Just keep praying. Keep praying for that family. Some of you have a burden for people at work. You have names of people that you're burdened about. Keep praying. Whether it's four months, uh, like Nehemiah, or it's four years, or 40 years, you keep praying. You keep doing your thing. You keep doing what God wants you to do. God has to be the one to arrange the circumstances, provide you with power. And if you're paying attention, if your eyes are open, this will happen again and again and again and again and again over the years. You'll run into the next person and the next person and the next person that you can touch. And by the end of, by the, end of the years that, that have gone by, you'll look back and say, Lord, thank you that I was able to just make a difference in somebody's life. 1 Peter 3, 15, we started with this one. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Be ready always. How do you be ready? Well, you've got to spend the time back here so that you're ready when the time comes to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So look for that moment when the door's open. Number three tonight, and that is to walk wisely then with your actions and words. When you have that opportunity, when the door is open, the resources are there, you're standing in front of somebody, and you're ready to be a help to that person, then very, walk very wisely with your actions and your words. When we're trying to deal hope to people, to encourage a brokenhearted person, to motivate a fearful person, to strengthen a discouraged person, to give hope to a hopeless person, then our approach is very important. And what we say is going to be very important. And typically, we don't go in with guns blazing. Well, you're an idiot for thinking that. You know, what's the matter with you, moron? You walk wisely here. Nehemiah did just that. He walked in and he looked at the whole situation, he got to Jerusalem, and he said, okay, now, I, sh I need to be very careful with how I handle this. All these people are hopeless. Nobody wants to build a wall because they're scared of the enemy. Nobody wants to get this work done. It's a lot. And so how am I going to motivate them? What am I going to do here to do my part? And here's what Nehemiah did in verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, and I, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. So he didn't tell anybody for three days. He didn't say a, say a thing to a single soul why he was there. He needed to wait for the right moment. And sometimes that is so important. Timing is, is so crucial. Verse 13, 
And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well into the dung port and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up into the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers, that is the rulers of Jerusalem, knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I yet as told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So three days, Nehemiah is going around the entire walls, um, and he's calculating how much this job is going to take. He's strategizing how to explain how to do this, and the next steps that, to divide up the whole task. And he's just really taking this all in. Um, God's using this man to make a big difference, but he's being careful. He's being wise about this whole thing. I'm sure all <laughs> you we know we know uh, Nehemiah. He's probably praying every step of the way for the right words that will bring hope to the people. How do I motivate these people? How do I lift them up out of the the, the situation they're in? And listen, I, I I'm a big one. I'm all for strategy in ministry. I really am. I think we should be as strategic as we possibly can to reach as many people as we can. But we, we have to be very careful because we want spirit-guided strategy. We want God to guide it. We want him to speak to us. Then he gets the leaders together. And so here we go, verse 17. Then said I unto them, you see the distress. So he gathers all the guys and here's my speech to you guys. You see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come. And let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Notice Nehemiah spoke the truth to them. He didn't pretend like there wasn't an issue. Ah, it's no big deal. Uh, it's not a, not, not a bad thing. I mean, hey, you know, whatever. You know, walls go down. Big deal, you know. Uh, part of wisdom and helping people is telling the truth. And he told them the truth. It, this, this is, I know why we're in distress. I know why things are bad. And we are a reproach, and we need to not be a reproach anymore. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, but I am going to speak very carefully and wisely. And that's what Nehemiah did when he used those words, these beautiful words to me, and that is in this verse, let us build. Let us build. Let us do it. In other words, guys, I'm with you. We're all going to build this together. Let's do this. But then he wanted them to know that someone bigger was with him and behind all of this. It wasn't just Nehemiah. It wasn't him just talking that day. Verse 18, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's word that he had spoken unto me. And boy, did that motivate them then. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. What an encouragement when one person with hope joins the party. I mean, somebody who shows up that really, truly believes God, somebody who has been praying, somebody who, is, who looks at life through God's eyes and not man's eyes, a person who's looking forward and not always looking backward. Every ministry in this church, every ministry anywhere, every home, every workplace needs a person like this. Every, everybody needs somebody like this that joins the party, a person of hope that comes in and says, we can do this and we'll do it together. 
let's do this. Hope is so contagious. And I, I'm encouraging all of us to be that person and continue being that person. Once they heard, the, the people heard that God had, what God had done with the king, and I think seeing the confidence in Nehemiah, they saw a greater future and said, all right, let's do it. And as it says here, they said, let us rise up and build. These folks went from hopeless to hopeful in a matter of minutes. Think about how fast this went. I mean, one little speech. A moment ago, I was, I was fearful, and all you had to do was say a few words to God, and boom, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go build. It is amazing. It is amazing the power of words. It is amazing when you are filled with hope and you have God on your side and you're ready to go, you can say one sentence. I like, I think it was John Piper that said, oh, one sentence can change your life. If you think about that, that is so true. One sentence from a book, one sentence from God's word certainly can change your whole life. One sentence can change your whole life, change the whole trajectory of what you're doing. And this is what God wants us to be for people. Man, be a, be a hope giver. You think you're just one person, but one hope-filled person can make a huge difference. Number four, stay in the trenches with people. Nehemiah did that. He said, all right, guys, let's go out there and build. And he stayed in it until the work was done. Nothing builds hope like working alongside people for a common goal. We won't look at all the scripture on this. I'm just going to tell it to you, and you can look at it later. But in chapter 3 here, 38 individuals are named, and 42 groups of people are named. Nehemiah knew every person that was working. He knew every group of people that was working, and he assigned them certain tasks on the wall. The point is, Nehemiah got in there and worked with the people to make sure that this thing got done. He was by their side. He was out there organizing and leading and keeping the work going which I think really helped motivate the people to keep working. And so then over the next month and a half, the people worked like crazy. And I just want to just mention briefly here that this is what the church is all about. Year after year after year of people just working together in the trenches, all of us doing our job, doing what God's called us to do. And we're going to just keep bringing hope, bringing hope, bringing hope, bringing hope to as many people as we can collectively. And in the meantime... While we're all doing this, we are more filled with hope. And every time you come to church, every time you walk into this building, let me tell you something. Just your face gives me another boost of hope. And it's the truth. Every time I see a person again, we've said this many times, it's a vote. Every time you just walk in, it's like you're voting and saying, I still believe. I still believe. I'm still here. I'm, I still believe. And what an encouragement that is to see so many people believing still. And hanging on and, and being in the work and keeping going. Jesus, sent, knew, Jesus knew the power of being together and working together. He sent his disciples out two by two. Two by two. There's a reason for that. Because doing life together makes you stronger. And we need to keep doing it together. And then lastly, number five here. Do not let your hope be stolen. Do not let your hope be stolen. The book of Nehemiah is clear that there, are, there were some serious enemies to this wall building. It wasn't just get out there and put a few uh, you know, stones on top of the other. No, unfortunately, there were some people that wanted to stop the work. Certain people felt that if this wall went up, there were enemies that just kind of lived in the region there. They must have felt that if, the, if these walls go up, if Israel gets their walls back up, 
then our power will be weakened. And when people feel threatened, when people feel um, that they could lose something, then they're going to fight back. And among them was, were two men named Sanballat and Tobiah. We're not going to go into the whole story. But these men, among others, came at, against Nehemiah with all kinds of threats, all kinds of assault plans. They were ready to take this work down. And unfortunately, because of all the things they were saying and doing and the messages they were sending, all the people who were working, the fear was rising up in them. And, and they were starting to lose hope. But look carefully at how Nehemiah dealt with the fear. Verse 14 here. And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. See, this is the kind of people we need in our lives. Somebody that looks at us and says, stop fearing, stop worrying, and remember the Lord. Remember who you have on your side. You need somebody like that in your life. And we need to be that for somebody else. Hey, 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 hey. We're, we're getting way too stressed out here. Let's remember the Lord. We have the Lord. And that's what Nehemiah did. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible. Or awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. So, okay, we're going to have to fight. So pick up your sword and fight then. Sounds like a really good movie speech actually right here. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters. But truth is greater than fiction. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us. And God had brought their counsel to naught that we returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbajons. And, and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17, they which builded on the wall and they that bear burdens with those that laded, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword girded by his side, and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles, and to the rulers, and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from another. In what place, therefore, ye hear the sound of the trumpet? Resort ye thither unto us, our God shall fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of them held the spears from the rising of the morning, so the stars appeared. So Nehemiah, just as a brief summary here, Nehemiah made sure that the work continued, but also put wise things in place to fight. Armed guards were there watching every single moment of the day. Plus, every worker was not only building, but he had a, he had a, a sword strapped to his side in case he needed to come running to the battle. And that's what Nehemiah said. I had the trumpet player right next to me, and if there was an issue, he was going to play the trumpet, and everybody came running with their swords. And that this is exactly how we get things done. God is fighting for us, but we have to pick up our swords and do our thing. And that's how it was when, you know, building this whole campus and continuing this. It's the same way. We're out here building, but also we have our spiritual swords out fighting the devil against discouragement and, uh, and a fear. It was like that the whole way. We can't do this. We can't do this. Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. No, no, we can't. No, we can't. And listen, it's also how it is in every single home. Listen, everybody, this is so just 
uh, real to me, and I think it'll be real to any parent listening. Parents are builders. We're building lives. One little stone on, the, on another every single day. And it's a long-term building program. But we're also guards. And we're fighting the enemy and trying to keep the enemy away from our homes and away from our children every single day. And so it's like we've got a trowel in one hand and we've got a sword in the other. And we're doing our very best. And I know it's hard, but listen, do not let your guard down. The enemy will continue coming after you every single day. But you've got a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other, and you just keep doing the work. But this is why I love what Nehemiah said. He said, listen, God will fight for us. God will fight for us. Yes, you have to swing your sword, do your part, but don't be, and so don't be foolish. But know in your heart, when you go out there to start fighting, know, have this hope in your heart. God is fighting with me. God is fighting with me. God is fighting with me. Parent, listen, God is fighting with you. He is with you. Do not back down. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. Don't lay down. Let the enemy stop the work. You keep doing what you know is right to do, and let God fight the battles with you. Look at how God helped them finish, and we're done. Nehemiah 6. Now I came to pass when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem and the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. So the enemy calls out to Nehemiah and says, hey, come see me in Ono. And Nehemiah said, oh, no. I love his response, actually, verse 3. And I sent messengers unto them. I ain't going to go visit. Here, messengers, you go give them this little message. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Sorry, devil. I have a really great work to do. I don't have time for your games. I'm a dad. I'm a mom. I'm a worker for Christ. I'm a hope dealer for people, and I don't got time for all this. Sorry. I'm not leaving this great work that I'm doing to mess around and do uh, the things you want me to do. Verse number four, yet they sent unto me four times after this sort. They kept asking, kept bugging, kept bugging, and I answered to them the same manner. Uh, just as a reminder, the devil does not stop his attacks. Take it to the bank if you're a minister of hope, that the enemy is coming after you, discouragement, fear, fatigue, you name it. I like what one pastor called this. He called it Lucifer's Law. We've all heard of Murphy's Law. If it can go bad, it will. Lucifer's Law is worse than <laughs> Murphy's Law. If you're serving the Lord, you will be attacked. If you're serving the Lord, you will be attacked. But Nehemiah did not give up hope. Strap your sword on. Let's do this. I'm not, I'm not messing around. And God's fighting for me, and I'm not going to stop. Stay in the fight for you. Stay in the fight for other people. Dad, mom, husband, wife, single adult, youth, children, church member, stay in the fight for you. Stay in the fight for other people that are around you. In a Sunday night crowd like this, I know one thing. People are looking to you people to be an anchor for them. There, there are a lot of people in here. There, I know there are people in here that are an anchor for so many other people. Don't get blown away by a storm. Don't let the enemy have you. Do not. You're not only staying for you. You're staying for that other boat. They're throwing the rope to you, and you've got to be there for them. 
Last verse, verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month Elul in 52 days. It took 52 days to build up the walls that had been down for 90 years. What changed? God gave hope to one man, and he became an anchor for others. He had a future. He knew this is what God wants us to do. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's amazing what one person can do. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and his group of companions were traveling across the country on horseback. They came to a river. The banks were, uh, because of a downpour, the, it was just really raging river. And each rider was forced to kind of go over. The bridge was out. They had to go over on horseback through the river. The currents were taking some of them away, and it was a dangerous situation. There was um, a man watching, and um, he... He needed help, and so he was wondering. He needed to go across with one of these riders on the horse, and he was looking at different people, and finally, as he got close, he saw Thomas Jefferson, and he said, hey, would you take me across? And so he got up on the saddle with him, and Thomas Jefferson rode across, brought him across the river. And somebody, when he got across, they asked him, why did you select a president to ask this favor of? And the man was shocked. He said, I didn't even know that was the president, actually. I was just I, seeing the situation. I just needed somebody. But here's what he said. All I know is that on some of your faces was written the answer no. And on some of them was the answer yes. His was a yes face. His was a yes face. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Let's be the yes face for people. Let's have a smile on our face. Let's say we have hope. Jesus is on our side. We have a certain future. There is nothing to be fearful about. We can do this. We're nothing to be discouraged about. Let's keep going. Be the yes face for everybody around you. Let's all bow our heads. And- we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.